Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Houghton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. I was thrilled to be given the opportunity to interview Ralph Benson from MoneyCube. Ralph is a high-profile pensions advisor. You'll often see him in the media when it comes to quoting various things related to pensions. I think in many ways I've underestimated the ability for my pension to be part of my financial independence journey. In fact, to date I haven't recorded my pension as part of my portfolio. This changed after chatting with Ralph and I've actually updated my portfolio now to reflect the fact that my pension is an asset and it's something that is going to help me on my financial freedom journey. Yes, very much so in the long run, but I think when it comes to financial independence, we need to be keeping the long run in mind. Ralph is on a mission to add more transparency when it comes to pensions and just trying to rebrand the way we look at pensions to effectively make pensions cool. Pensions in other countries have already undergone this process. For example, in New Zealand, the compulsory pension scheme is known as KiwiSaver, and that certainly changed New Zealand's attitude towards saving and investing for retirement. Ralph is so passionate about changing the way that we look at pensions that he has launched a Pensions Awareness Week. He's bringing the show on the road, so to speak. The Awareness Week will run in the last week of September. And he's invited me to speak in a couple of those venues. So I will be speaking in Cork on the 24th of September, as well as in Limerick on the 25th of September. So those links will be in the show notes. If you want to register for those events, they are free to come along. But without further ado, let's jump over to the interview. So Ralph, it's great to have you on the show today. Hi, Michael. Good to be with you. So look, I mean, let's get straight into it, if you don't mind giving us some of your background, and I'd love to know what actually inspired you to get into pensions in the first place. Our business is getting into pensions. What we kind of formed MoneyCube to do was really arose from a frustration that investing in all its shapes and forms is so difficult in Ireland. And quite quickly, when you look at uh, most people's biggest investment, you come up against their pensions. So, uh, you know, a large part of what we do is helping people effectively build up their wealth through pensions. I guess for us, you know, uh, that frustration stems from three things that we perceived in the Irish market, which are, you know, a lack of transparency around pensions and investments, excessively aggressive fees to do fairly basic things a lot of the time, and thirdly, a poor experience online. So MoneyCube is, if you like, on a journey to fix those three things in the Irish market. You've certainly caught my attention a few times and, you know, just, I guess, as full disclosure, I am certainly planning on opening a pension with you guys because I do have an existing pension. I'm not going to say which company uh, it is with, but uh, you actually helped me to go through that pension and detect a lot of the kind of hidden fees that I hadn't been able to see. So, you know, even from that point of view, that was extremely eye-opening. I mean, obviously, there's, there's major tax benefits in terms of having a pension. I mean, I guess for somebody that isn't aware of those, would you mind just kind of listing a few of them? Yeah, there are kind of three big things from a tax perspective around putting your money into an, a pension investment as opposed to a regular investment. One is you get income tax relief on the money you put in. So you know, if you're paying top rate tax in Ireland at 
you know, you might see your monthly income drop by 60 euro, but you'll see 100 euro land in your pension because you'll be getting 40% tax relief on the money going in. That's the big bonus on the way in. Then secondly, the investment growth within your pension fund is tax-free. And finally, when you actually tap that fund in retirement to get an income from it, you can draw typically a quarter of it tax-free as a lump sum. Then there are certain rules around how you take out the other 75%. People in Ireland uh, fondly remember the SSIAs from 10, 15 years ago and the 25% bonus they gave. And I guess it's worth pointing out that the tax gimme with pensions is far in excess of that SSIA, you know. I think we've got a kind of a naming problem, but financially, it's a very good deal. And I guess for most people, once they actually start drawing down their pension, they're probably going to be drawing that down below the 50% tax cutoff rate anyway, right? So it effectively defers that tax from today and means that by the time you actually are drawing that down, you're going to be drawing it down at the lower rate. Yeah, a lot of the time, that's right. Depending on, on how much funds you have built up, you'll often find in retirement you're paying at standard rate 20% tax. What do people typically do with that 25% drawdown? I mean, do they go and pay off their mortgage or do they go and splash it out and get that BMW that they always wanted? Well, I don't notice too many uh, 65-year-olds cruising around in uh, 7 Series BMWs, so I suspect it's not that. But um, back in the day, uh, like it was thought of as a way to clear off the mortgage and you, know, you would be debt-free in retirement. That's not always the case now because people have 40-year mortgages and so, so forth anyway. And I suspect there's also a bit of intergenerational recycling going on. So, you know, the, the bank of mum and dad turns up with a lump sum just at the right time to help out with uh, the next generation's mortgage and these kinds of things. You know, so there's a, there's a variety in there. And obviously, uh, as good, uh, responsible people running an investment platform, you know, one of the things we suggest is, um, you know, there's no reason that you should be blowing all that money on the high street or leaving it all in cash at the banks, you know. So there's obviously options to reinvest that lump sum. In regards to the actual pensions then, there's a sort of that company pension that you can get if you're self-employed, and then also the employer's pension. So I guess let's start with the employer's pension. I mean, okay, so let's say you've got a nine to five job. What would you be typically doing? And is this something that you need to engage in yourself? Or would your employer sometime offer these schemes? Or would you recommend going with finding a service like yours anyway to reduce the fees potentially? Yeah, you're right. So for the vast majority of people who are employed in a a medium or large firm, you know, there's a company pension on offer. And um, in many cases, that's a good deal, right? So you'll typically, you might have the company matching your contributions. The company may itself have constructed a pretty worthwhile pension. You might even be lucky enough to be one of those with the old defined benefit pensions, as opposed to certainty on what the money is going in. You have certainty on the money that will be coming out at the end. You know, they are kind of hard to find, but uh, worth hanging on to in most cases if you do have one. Uh, and obviously, if you're in the public sector as well, you, you have a similar kind of comfort that uh, you've got reasonable certainty on your pension. I suppose for people in that position, what do they need to think about is more, I guess there's a danger of thinking that it's all sorted. If I'm a self-employed person or I have to take care of my own pension situation, I've probably sat down with someone, worked some numbers and uh, taken some decisions. Sometimes we find with people who are working, you know, and have a, have a company scheme that kind of is just, just given to them. They think it's all sorted, but when you look at the numbers, actually, you know, the provision might be quite poor. I guess that's the, the thing to think about that I would highlight if you're in employment and availing of a company scheme. 
I mean, what happens then when you actually leave that employment? I mean, let's say you leave after three or five years. I've heard of some you know, stories from some people who have multiple pensions from multiple workplaces. How does that kind of work? I mean, do you sort of advise at some point to merge them all together or can you merge them together? There's no sort of definite answer, but, you know, I think people like psychologically to kind of think of their pensions being all in one place. You know, usually you can do that to a reasonable extent. So they might be sitting in different accounts, but you can have them all in one single login and good kind of visibility on a dashboard of where your pension sits. But equally, apart from being slightly uh, ugly, there's nothing wrong with having five or six pensions in five or six different places. You know, we talk a lot in the investment industry about spreading your risk and putting eggs in different baskets and so on. So, you know, you're pretty much doing that if you have five or six pensions in different places. The only thing to do is make sure you've got a list in your sock drawer of um, all your pensions. That's actually pretty good advice, Ralph, because I suspect a lot of people would be wanting to merge it all together, but I guess it doesn't always make sense. So, you know, I appreciate your kind of honesty on that, which is great. And I mean, I guess around the concept there, I mean, I know that there's differences in terms of the amount that you can contribute between an employer and a self-employed person. I mean, what's the kind of typical sort of percent that you could be contributing as a PAYE worker? Well, it's based on age. So if I'm the tax man, uh, I'm ambivalent because I want you to build up funds in your pension so that you're not dependent on the state in old age. But equally, I don't want to be giving you too much tax relief and not collecting any tax from you along the way, you know. So the way it's structured is as you get older, you can contribute a, an increasingly large portion of your income into your pension and receive tax relief on that. So, you know, if I was to take someone in their 40s, can uh, tuck away a quarter of their income each year and receive tax relief on that saving, subject to a, a limit of if their income is over 115k, then kind of caps the tax relief you can receive. But you know, a quarter is the is the key number for most people. Like you say, it's a little bit different if you work for yourself or you have uh, management influence over a company and decision making powers on how that pension is constructed. Let's jump to company pensions. Then, I guess as an outsider for me to Ireland, the first question that I look at is why. I mean, do you know why the company pensions can contribute so much more? I mean, even in the case of myself, you know, 35. I'm allowed to contribute effectively twice my salary, right? Which just seems like madness. It allows me to effectively save in a pension at a 50% savings rate. Is there history behind that? There's a lot of history behind it. It's the old uh, joke of asking someone for directions and getting told I wouldn't start from here. You know, I think if you had started with a blank piece of paper to construct a pension regime, you would probably have ended up with something quite different from what we have on our hands today. The pensions regime in Ireland has been built up in layers, you know, and uh, every time a government dreams of simplifying pensions in Ireland, they add a new kind of pension. But what they don't do is take away the old kinds of pensions. So rather than simplifying, what you've just done is added a, a new option, you know, and it, it all gets more complicated. We've got an idea that that may happen all over again in a couple of years when auto-enrolment is uh, introduced in the Irish market. It's a kind of patina of many years of laying on new pensions ideas that while not taking away the old ones. Let's jump on that a little bit because, you know, I've obviously come from New Zealand. New Zealand has a scheme called KiwiSaver, which was introduced just before the great financial crash. And yeah, obviously at the time when 2008 hit, people were screaming up and down because their pensions were cut in half. Because it was done so early in the crash, those people are now sitting pretty now because they kept contributing. So 
it's actually been a bit of an award winner for many New Zealanders. And obviously Australia has the superannuation scheme where 9% of your salary is put compulsory into your super. They have a massive buy-in with these self-administered pensions as well, which, which aren't uh, utilised that much in Ireland. I mean, are they proposing to have some sort of compulsory pension scheme or is it just going to be, as you said, you're auto-enrolled and then you have the option to opt out or is it going to be compulsory? None of this is, is totally clear and is still being debated in dark rooms around government buildings. So it is still being cooked up and it's a couple of years away, but it looks like it will be a combination of um, building on some of the experience uh, in Australia and New Zealand and also the UK is probably the, the most recent case where it was introduced in a gradual way, you know, biggest businesses first and then uh, filtered down to smaller business over a period of years. But I suppose what Ireland is trying to do is and, and MoneyCube is no different in this, but trying to kind of learn the lessons from those experiences, you know. And in particular, I think what's so great about those schemes is not just that they're actually fixing the problem in a building up euros way, but they actually change the culture and how people think about their savings and pensions. And if you talk to Australians about like their superannuation scheme, they're actually really engaged with it. They're interested to know where it's invested. They're interested to know what they're paying for it. They're interested to know how they should be building it up. And I guess that's the kind of investment culture and kind of confidence of asking questions around investments and pensions that we'd really like to see in the Irish market. A hundred percent. And I mean, look, I know plenty of Australians who very much are dependent on that pension and they've seen firsthand the compounding effects, right? Because ultimately that's what you're looking for your pension to do. It's not just about putting the money in, it's about seeing that money grow over time. And I think with pensions, if anything, I mean, if, particularly if you're contributing that in your 20s, then you're going to start seeing that at a far younger age than um, if you're starting later in life. That's totally right. I mean, you know, there are various boring numbers you can run that show, you know, if you um, put a, some chicken feed in at the age of 19, uh, you'd have to be putting in a thousand a week by the age of 50 or whatever, you know. So um, I guess uh, slightly ambivalent about those kind of things because one of the messages we press all the time is, you know, it's making a start is what's important, you know, um, and there's always something you can do. And I guess the other thing I say, you know, that people rarely think taxes are um, too low in Ireland. It is worth pointing out that like the pensions regime in Ireland is actually one of the more generous ones kicking around, you know. In the UK, the lifetime limit for contributions is around a million pounds, whereas in Ireland, you know, the lifetime limit is two million euros, you know. So there are some significant differences in the pension benefits compared to other countries that are not all bad, you know. I've kind of covered it in episodes on the podcast in the past where, for me, the only way to financial independence in Ireland is by having your own company or potentially by buying into your pension. That's probably a great route. And, and I've had people reach out to me who are in their 50s asking, oh, what do you think I should do? And it's a no-brainer, right? Like the pension, you're, you're talking 10, 15 years until you can access it. I mean, I guess, Ralph, if we just kind of sidetrack a little bit and just discuss some of the actual funds that you can invest in. I mean, obviously, in the financial independence community, index funds are sort of the, the go-to investment, if you like. And I mean, how do these funds work? I mean, are they tracking the index or are you buying a Vanguard product or what are you actually buying into when you go into these funds? I guess, you know, the, the origins of index funds is, like you say, to track a particular index, you know, and nothing very complicated about it, at least in theory. You track the index by buying the constituents of that index in proportion to how much of the index they comprised, you know. So if you were tracking the FTSE 100, you'd have a significant amount of underlying holding in BP shares, and you'd have a small sliver of Marks and Spencer shares, at least before they fall out of the FTSE 100 index, as they're about to do. The index was simply purchasing those shares. 
you've got a pretty sophisticated uh, investment community uh, among your listenership there. And you know where it gets a little more complicated is in what's known as synthetic ETFs or uh, synthetic funds. You know, if there are less liquid indices you're trying to track, it's not always possible or practical to be buying the underlying assets. Easy to do with the FTSE 100, more difficult, uh, you know, in maybe some strange currencies or some esoteric assets. And in that case, you know, there are funds out there which will take a contract with typically an investment bank as a counterparty. And, you know, the investment bank is undertaking to reflect the value of that index back to the fund can get complicated but i guess the vast majority of you know your say your vanguard funds that you mentioned and uh, you know the, the funds that we would say should be the cornerstone of your investment maybe your s&p 500 your msci global index you know those funds typically will be buying the underlying shares so that's good to know and obviously it's far more uh, easier doing that than actually having to try and um, do that yourself which is great so one of the big advantages a pension has is that when you're buying, say, the Vanguard S&P 500 ETF, you're taxed at 41% on profits. You've got to pay tax every eight years, even on unrealized gains. So it's a real nightmare from that point of view, whereas the pension avoids all of that sort of complication. And uh, you can invest for the long run without fear of uh, needing to pay any tax on it. And I guess, really, you're not paying tax on it at all until you actually draw the money out of the pension. So that's, um, I guess that's another big advantage there. Yeah, that's totally right. And, and like you say, you know, a decent chance that you'll be paying that tax at the standard rate rather than the top rate. There was something that I heard a few years ago, you know, when the times weren't as good, and you might be able to clarify it for me. There was some levy that, that the government was putting on pensions. I mean, were they pinching money out of people's pensions to kind of pay for a lot of the, uh, the debt that, uh, that Ireland had accumulated? Or what was actually going on there? Well, I think they were pinching money from anywhere they could find it. I guess one of the, the big features of a, a pension is, you know, it is dependent on the government to provide that tax wrapper because a pension is no more than that. It's a little wrapper which wraps around your savings pot and gives you certain tax benefits. It was a time when the government was casting around for all sorts of um, revenue and pensions were an easy one to go after. I guess the one that hit everybody was a levy of 0.6% for several years on pension funds. You know, when we were discussing this, this seems like daylight robbery, you said. And I guess, you know, it was a pretty straightforward, why would you go to pensions? Well, that's where the money is, you know. The government during 2011 to 2015 had a levy, which most of those years was 0.6% on those pension funds. Clearly, that depressed the value of people's holdings. But obviously, in the scheme of collecting your 40% tax relief on the way in was not, you know, as material as it might have been, or it wouldn't, it wouldn't cause you to reverse your initial decision. You know, that's gone since 2015, but it's probably worth pointing out there are still some hangovers. Um, in particular, public service pensions had a pension-related deduction, which was only wrapped up at the end of 2018. You know, So those people are doing their tax returns around now, and they're still having to make adjustments for that deduction, which was as high as 10.5%. Count yourself lucky in one sense that you don't have a public service pension, I guess, Michael. I think the nice thing about that being in 2011, 2012, was you had a raging bull market in the share market, right? At least from that point of view, that 0.6% was going to be pretty unnoticed compared to the 10 plus percent uh, annual gains that you were getting if you were invested in, in equities at the time. So yeah, it wasn't so bad. I think had uh, equities been declining, there may have been blood on the streets, but I think uh, it was fine in the end. So yeah, it was, it, it was probably the right path to take, really. I mean, they had to get the money from somewhere, I guess. 
Yeah, that's right. But uh, I suppose, you know, it's back to that eggs in baskets point. You know, it is price we have to pay, right? That the government does have quite a lot of uh, ways of dipping its fingers into that pot. And um, we should be aware that that could happen again, right? If somebody's coming to you in their 20s or 30s, I mean, I'm assuming you're normally pointing them down the index route or equities in terms of the actual funds. I mean, you know, you must get people coming in the door that, that aren't aware of these things and maybe are scared of the volatility and, you know, don't understand that, that volatility is actually their best friend. I mean, how would you typically steer them and, and what can you advise them on in, in terms of um, the actual funds that they go for? Our view of life, I guess there are three things that drive that decision. Above all, like you say, it's time. Investment risk is the biggest investment risk around is volatility. And if you're a distressed seller, then you need to cash in your money and you cannot afford to wait. Then you have very little capacity to absorb volatility. Like you say, a person in their, say in their 20s or 30s has a lot of time. There's plenty of academic evidence out there that suggests over 20 year periods, you know, 99% of the time, you'd be better putting your money into equities than any other asset. That's a Barclays study that goes back to the 19th century. That time is the number one driver of kind of investment risk capacity. I suppose, you know, the other things are like uh, your general financial situation and capacity to absorb losses. I guess thirdly, the, the bit that we use a little more judgment on is some people sleep better at night knowing their money's doing the right thing and working away. And um, other people sleep better at night knowing that their money is safe in the bank. There's a bit of an attitude thing to this. And we work that, through that with clients to help them form a view. I guess, you know, if anything, we probably, I would say we suggest to clients to take on a little bit more equity risk than maybe uh, has been traditional in the pensions market. So you might be aware, but, you know, one of the common things kicking around in pensions is to turn up in the bank and they will put you into a fairly uh, standard, what they call it something like a lifestyling strategy or a uh, an automatic de-risking strategy or something like that. And the way these things work is your man in the bank will ask you when you intend to retire. And say you say, oh, I want to retire when I'm 65. He will then put you in a fund which from, say, the age of 50, starts to switch you out of higher risk reward investments and into more stable, less volatile investments such as bonds. I guess the question we discuss with our clients is you know why would you do that if you are 50 now you might live till you know you might be drawing on this income for another 40 years more so you know that is an eminently suitable investment time frame to be investing into some fairly high risk assets uh, there's a debate to be had around that and i think one of the dangers in the irish pensions market is a lot of people are being um uh, having their hands held and put into these uh these automatic de-risking strategies, which are actually moving them into low-growth assets from a very young age. And I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head that this isn't about getting through to 65, it's actually about what happens after that. So run, run me through that then. I mean, let's say that I get to 65 and, you know, I finish up working. What happens to my pension? I mean, is it moved to something else? Does it just keep staying there? Could I contribute to it after I retire? I mean, how does that kind of work? Well, this is one of the big changes that's going to happen in the Irish market. Ireland introduced what the UK has only got around to introducing in the last three, four years uh, and calls pension freedoms. Ireland introduced these about 15, 20 years ago. We've now got a generation of people who are coming up to retirement and faced with exactly the questions you've described there. If you picture maybe 20 years ago, you know, when you retired, um, company gave you a clock and a thank you for your service. You had visibility on the income you'd be getting. 
Whereas now, retire from your the business you've been working in and, um, you know, from having previously had a relationship with, you know, HR who can help you on your pensions and things, it's all thanks very much and you're on your own. You know, there's a real need for those people to take some pretty significant financial decisions and it, they have to do it at a time when they suddenly don't have the kind of HR and financial infrastructure that they've been used to having around them. That's a real question, I think, that's going to emerge over the next little while. In terms of the choices, typically we mentioned that there's scope to take a, a lump sum from your pension. That's almost never a bad idea because it's tax-free money and, as I said, you could reinvest it. But in terms of the remainder, the choice will generally boil down to whether you want to purchase an annuity, which is doing a deal with a life insurance company where they will treasure your 75% uh, of your pension and in return pay you an income for life. Or alternatively, you can uh, purchase what's known as an approved retirement fund, which is really uh, just a way of saying that it's a fund that kind of stays within that wrapper that we talked about, that tax wrapper, has certain rules about the rate at which you draw it down and can be invested as you see fit. So you know, there's a kind of choice between how engaged you want to be with your money. Do you want to hand it over and have that certainty on income? Versus do you want to actually not draw it in an aggressive way now because you've got other sources of income or you want to have a lot of control over how it's invested or you think you can make more money by managing it yourself? The thing we debate with our clients is does it have to be one or the other? Could it be a combination of both? Or is, yes, you're 65 now and you've got time and you're really engaged with your money and you want to be doing it, but you know maybe when you're 75, you'll want a bit more certainty on income. So we kind of walk them through that thought process and how they can plan that all out in a way that gives them a lot of value and the right level of control, but also means that you're not spending, you know, 15 hours a week managing your finances. So that's great to know that you've actually got that level of control. And I know that there's these self-directed pensions, which actually aren't that popular in Ireland. I've heard stories during the good times, and this is the, the previous Cult of Tiger, where you could actually buy property through them and things like this. I mean, does that still exist these days in a self-administered pension or is that no longer an option? does still exist. There's a little more regulation than there used to be around the kinds of assets that you can hold in a pension, but there's no reason you can't be uh, purchasing property through your pension. Um, there are rules around how much of your pension can be in certain assets, and a certain amount of it have to be in regulated investments, which is shares and regulated investment funds. Uh, I guess we would say Irish people love investing in property, but you know, you've got a very specific risk there. You know, those rules shouldn't really be seen as a hindrance. And there's a, while property might ha have its place in the investment mix, it's no harm that people do have to have a pretty diverse range of investments in their pension. There are very few things that you probably would want to put in a pension that you can't put in a pension. If it's kind of uh, legally able to be sold in Ireland, then you probably can get a piece of it into your pension along the way. I think that's really good to know, because, I mean, a lot of the, the challenges in the FIRE community in Ireland is that property seems like a great cash flowing asset, right? But you're paying such high tax on the rental income. A lot of people are trying to find ways to avoid that. And I think pensions are a, an underrated route to look at that. And look, I could totally appreciate that you've got to diversify anyway, but any investor should be doing that regardless, right? So that's kind of the given. And I think it's a matter of then looking at the various options that you could do, because I think for a lot of people, being able to do different things with the pension is, is quite exciting. And you know, the fact that you've mentioned there that there's possibilities, uh, I think that, that kind of makes pensions far more exciting than they're probably sold as, which is great. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think equally for many people, 
like the fact that it's uh, more complicated doesn't necessarily make it better. So there are very simple ways to structure a pretty effective pension plan in Ireland, you know, so tapping into those index funds and you don't have to be trading your fund every day to get that. I remember reading that the editor of the FT's uh, Lex column on his last day in the job, he actually revealed the one fund that he invests all his money in, and it was Global Stock Market Tracking Fund. A fund which is almost exactly the same as that fund is available in the Irish market for pensions, and that's kind of our starting point for a lot of clients, particularly young clients. You know, why wouldn't you simply put your money into something which is going to track that at a relatively low cost every month? and uh, chugs away nicely and approaching or in retirement and want to trade your pension in a much more active way, then that's the time to get stuck into it. But equally, nothing wrong with just tracking the global index for 20 years beforehand. I mean, what actually happens to your pension then when you pass on? I mean, I'm assuming that there's some sort of tax that needs to be paid potentially to get that pension through to your kids. What's the sort of process from there? It depends is the unsatisfactory answer I have to give you there. So, um, Going back to this uh, way that the pensions world has evolved and um, the fact that different kinds of pension are governed under different rules, to give you a short answer, unless you have done a deal with a life insurance company to purchase an annuity, the value of your pension stays as part of your estate or is inherited by your next of kin. Uh, There are a couple of different ways of structuring that from a tax perspective and so on. I feel like in 35 minutes, we've barely scratched the surface here. So tell us about the Pension Awareness Week and you know how can people come along, get some of these questions answered and get more information on this stuff? You know, one of the frustrations, as I say, we've had is um, the kind of a lot of negativity around pensions. And um, I'd love to come up with a new word for the topic that um, didn't have all the associations that the word pensions does have. In particular, it seems very difficult to find anything talking about pensions that doesn't almost right beside it have the word time bomb. Typically, if someone told you there was a bomb in the room, you would run in the other direction, you know. So we kind of prefer to talk about the pensions opportunity. So what we've done is we've teamed up with a number of like-minded businesses and partners to launch Pensions Awareness Week. It's really an attempt to kind of spread the gospel a little bit on the pensions opportunity in Ireland. So doing a couple of things. Um, it's the last week in September and uh, we've got our hands on a 1960s VW camper van and uh, crisscrossing the country for the last week of September to uh, spread that message. It's a combination of workplace visits, a couple of meetups as well. So we're, we're going to be in Cork on the 24th of September, in Limerick on the 25th and in Dublin on the 26th in the evening. So we're going to the Clayton Hotel uh, in Cork and Limerick. Those are the kind of places you can see us face to face. To the extent somebody did have an interest in a workplace visit, um, we're keen to wrap those up in our itinerary and you can kind of register interest on on the website, which is pensionsawarenessweek.ie. Well, Ralph, you've, you've been kind enough to allow me to come and do a very small presentation in the Cork and Limerick events that you're going to be having. And Vince Doherty, who appeared on episode 10, is going to be speaking at the Dublin event, which is going to be fantastic, particularly for him, because his financial independence plan, if you like, is entirely through pensions. So I think he's going to be a great example of, you know, a way that this can be done by utilising your pension. What we're keen to do is, you know, we need to change the conversation about this topic. So pensions aren't working for most people in Ireland, like uh, I guess we've talked a lot about um, what's good about them and the opportunities and so on. But, you know, it is worth pointing out that, you know, there are a lot of people who are uh, in store for pretty unpleasant shocks uh, in the future because 
it has become much more necessary to try and be financially independent from a pension planning perspective now than it might have been in previous years. Those defined benefit schemes are gone. The state pension is not much to live off, is not guaranteed. It's that financial independence aspect of the fire movement that we think really chimes with what we're trying to do here. You know, if you're in a habit of saving anyway, why would you then pay more tax if you didn't need to? You know, and if you're saving for the long run, why not let that long run be when you actually are going to retire? Because for the vast majority of us, we are going to get there. And I've got no doubt that it's probably almost on a daily basis, Ralph, that you're talking to guys in their sort of 60s plus that are going, geez, I wish I had started this earlier, I guess. Yeah, well, that's true. But I think that, you know, that is a failure of the industry and the old ways of doing things. One of the things we are putting together as part of Pensions Awareness Week is a roundtable, which is talking about this, how do we change the conversation and redefine the user experience of pensions in Ireland. What we did not want to do is have the same old faces from the big pension companies, the regulatory authorities and all the rest, because they've kind of said their piece. We know what they have to say and it hasn't worked. So we really kind of want to get voices through from, you know, insights from behavioral finance, from companies with millennial workforces and just some new thinking from outside the pensions industry with ideas on how we can actually really change this for Irish people and put them in charge of their financial futures. It's not purely about MoneyCube. This is uh, teaming up with a a number of different organizations to spread the word and uh, we'd really like to see it gain some momentum and become an annual thing. So I will post those dates in the show notes, guys, and it's a free event to come along to. So, you know, you're literally only giving an hour or so of your time to come along. Ralph will be there to ask any questions. If you've got any feedback from the episode, you can actually give it to him directly, which would uh, would be nice for Ralph to hear firsthand. But uh, other than that, Ralph, look, we really do appreciate your time. And uh, obviously, if somebody does have a question and they want to get in touch beforehand, what's the best uh, way for them to get in touch with you? So moneycube.ie is our URL. Hello at moneycube.ie or I'm Rafe.Benson, so R-A-L-B-H dot Benson at moneycube.ie. You'll also find the phone number on the site as well. Thank you so much, Ralph, and uh, I look forward to hearing how the roadshow goes in a couple of weeks. Good to speak, Michael. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode. As you likely already know, the path to financial freedom starts with you taking action. If you've been inspired by my story, why not come and join me at one of my events? I attend meetups regularly and also host webinars every couple of weeks. Most of the events are free to attend. Visit www.firepodcast.ie and click on the events tab for more information. The link will also appear in the show notes.